And what a privilege you and I have to lean on the everlasting arms. Amen, amen. You may be seated. What a privilege it is to have each of you here with us on this another beautiful day that the Lord has granted to us. My, what a tremendous adult Bible class this morning. Praise the Lord. His brother Dave done an outstanding job as he normally does, but really, really refreshing this morning. I want to thank Brother Burrell for standing in on my behalf Wednesday evening. While I was away, I appreciate the help so very much. And uh, <clears throat> I know you enjoy the change once in a while, and I appreciate him standing in. Our thoughts and our prayers are with the Pollard family and the Bell Shoals Church family this morning. At this time of enormous loss, I cannot begin to wrap my mind around what those folks must be going through this morning, knowing that their beloved pastor will never grace the pulpit again there at Bell Shoals Baptist. And I know their hearts are broken along with the Pollard family. And uh, we, our thoughts and prayers are with them today at this time of extreme loss and such grief. And uh, there's a tremendous piece in the bulletin this morning. Uh, Sister Audrey has put in there the law of the garbage truck. If you haven't read don't read it while I'm preaching, but when you get home. <laughs> and uh, uh, take the time to read that. That is so refreshing and very, very good. So, so truthful. I, I appreciate that so very much. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. I'd like to read in your hearing this morning as we look into the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 3. Very familiar passage beginning with verse number 12. If you will stand one more time in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I appreciate your prayers so very much. I travel so extensively for the company I work for. I average no less than about 12, 1,500 miles a week on the highway. And uh, <clears throat> this last week was no exception. Somewhere between 2,300 and 2,400 miles I traveled from the time I left here last Sunday till I get back here Friday afternoon. And I appreciate the Lord's protection. There's some crazy people out there. They do some crazy stuff on the highway. And uh, <clears throat> I appreciate your prayers so much, and I know that's the hand of the Lord that keeps us safe and brings us back home. Paul writes, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. Everybody say, I'm pressing on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brother and I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, Paul is saying, I've not arrived yet, but I'm working hard to that end. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, everybody look at your neighbor and tell them, I want to be mature. I'm talking spiritually now. I know the physical thing is a... Whew. 
Therefore let, it, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if, if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let us pray together. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your tremendous grace and your mercy, which you have so lavishly bestowed upon each and every one of us. Knowing that we're not worthy of what you have done, but, oh, Lord, yet because of your tender mercies, you have smiled upon us. You have graced us with your presence and your power and your Holy Spirit. Lord, today as we come to this time of the service and the ministry of your word, I pray that you will bless your servant, you will anoint these lips and this mind today, that we might be the vessel that you have called for today, for this moment and for this occasion, to preach here for a little while. And I pray that you'll anoint and help each of us to receive and apply your word to our life. And we'll give you the praise and thanks for it. It is in the name of Jesus that we ask it today. And everyone said amen. amen. And you may be seated. I would like to preface this morning's message with just a couple thoughts here and follow along, if you will, and see if you can glean something from these things that I share with you. It is evident that storms, literal storms, reveal the depth and resilience of a tree's root system. Some years ago, when we had so many hurricanes come through here, one of the greatest fears or one of the most predominant fears that many people had was these large oak trees around here, did they have a root system that was substantial enough to take the winds that were going to be produced by these hurricanes? And I have like 12 or so huge oak trees in my yard. And, of course, I was, you know, real concerned about that. Fortunately, I'm very high, so the root system went very deep on these trees in order for them to access moisture, and which was a benefit to us. And when difficult times come, and I said all that to say this, that when difficult times come, we need more than just intelligence. We need spiritual depth. Amen. When difficult times come, we need more than just an intellectual knowledge of the Word of God. We need spiritual depth. Perhaps the kind that Job the patriarch had when the Bottom dropped out of his world, Job declared, as is recorded in Job 23, chapter 23, verses 10 through 12. He says, Job says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Amen. That is spiritual depth. In the midst of the most profound crisis a man could possibly ever know this side of heaven, he made this declaration. And just perhaps we need the spiritual depth of someone like the Apostle Paul, who after praying three times for this Thorn in the flesh, whatever your opinion may be of what it was to be removed or taken away. And that word thorn, by the way, sometimes is, re is referred to as a pointed instrument or like a spear. And three times the Lord said no. Paul said that if you're not going to take it away, what am I going to do? The Lord responded to him, my grace is sufficient. 
My grace is sufficient. And in response to the Lord's refusal to remove this thorn, Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. By the way, this morning I'm preaching on stages of spiritual growth. In case I fail to make that known. Stages of spiritual growth. Paul said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Instead of looking for a way out or throwing a pity party, Paul declared, I chose to go through this so that I can have the privilege of experiencing more of Christ's power working in my life. What spiritual depth? I'll take the affliction as long as I can have the power of Christ working in my life. Amen. Don't we want what these aforementioned individuals had so that our spiritual life is such that we walk in step with God whether we feel good or whether we don't feel good? Whether we get a yes or whether we get a no from him or whether we get a, oh, just wait a while. Y'all ever prayed for something? Lord just said, well, just wait a while. Even when we don't get our own way, we need that spiritual depth. Amen? You see, spiritual depth cannot be caught by osmosis or merely by something on our wish list. It must become our all-consuming goal. And the highest priority of our life if we're going to attain the spiritual depth that we need in this hour. I suppose the question is then, do we really have that spiritual depth? The Apostle John in his first epistle, and Brother David's been teaching out of the epistles of John here in the recent Sunday school, in our recent adult classes John writes in chapter 12, or chapter 2 and verse 12, rather, of 1 John, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now, for the most part, there are what we're going to call three stages to spiritual growth. I know there's going to be a lot in between these stages and so forth, but for the purpose of this message this morning, there are basically three stages to spiritual growth. The first stage, of course, is childhood. Amen. In fact, the Greek term little children refers to toddlers. And if there's one thing toddlers are good at, it's tripping and falling. Yeah, it's tripping and falling. Our youngest son was living proof of that with all of the various different black and blue places he had on his forehead and on his body when he was just a toddler from falling and running into things and crashing into stuff, learning how to walk. Amen. And until they learn to walk, they need someone occasionally to pick them up, dry their tears, 
bandage their skin knees and reassure them that falling down doesn't mean they'll never walk. Or that they're not part of the family. Never once did I pick up one of my boys as toddlers and when they would fall, trying to, they would climb up on stuff and take a couple steps and boom, down they would go. And I never once picked one of them up and swatted him on the backside and told him to get up there and walk. Pick them up, dry their tears, reassure them that it's okay. Oftentimes I would take them and stand them between my legs and let them hold on to my fingers and let them walk that way while I held them up. So that they could get the idea. They're toddlers, they're just learning. This is the childhood stage. You know, I have to wonder, how many more individuals would occupy church pews and be a part of the church family across America and the world had this principle been used when dealing with newborns and infants in Jesus Christ? Rather than grabbing them up and shaking them real hard and swatting them real good and tell them you can do better than that. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Just a thought. Hallelujah. Just as it is, it is with a child, so it is with infants in Jesus Christ. They're going to fall and get skinned up. That's part of the growth process. They're going to get banged up. And it's our responsibility, those of us who are mature, to pick them up, dry their tears, reassure them, acknowledge that they're still part of the family so that they continue to keep on walking and trying. Amen? For those of you who are relatively new to the church and your walk with God, there are two things a spiritual toddler must understand. I'll get this. First, the difference between their stage of growth and their standing before God. There's a huge difference between the stage of your spiritual growth and where you stand in the sight of God. If you try to equate your standing in the sight of God with, which, with where you're at in your spiritual growth, it will mess you up. Amen? You see, understand this. You can't get these two mixed up. Trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, His death and resurrection, is the only thing that gives you and I access and a right standing in the presence of God. It's not the level of our spiritual growth. It's not how far many years we've been serving Him. It's not how many, how long our name's been on the church roll. But it is through the efficacious blood of Jesus Christ and what He done at Calvary that gives us a righteous standing in the sight of God. Amen. That ought to make you want to get up and run around and do a couple laps. Amen. You see, being born again from that moment on, you are fully accepted and, re and a redeemed child of God. And that's how God sees you and I. He looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And when we forget that, we get into trouble because every time we fall, guess what? The devil is there to make us doubt our salvation. He's there to tell you along with the help of some well-meaning individuals or who they think they're well-meaning individuals that if you really had the goods, you wouldn't make mistakes. Hallelujah. I got that said pretty diplomatically, didn't I? The forgiveness that you and I receive at the new birth is a judicial act by God Himself 
making you and I a member of His family in good standing. Go like this. Amen. 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 What you receive at the new birth is a judicial act of God. Jesus Christ paid the price. He judicially responded to the sins of the world through His life and blood on the cross of Calvary. Amen. And it makes you a member of His family in good standing. However, I will tell you this. The forgiveness that you receive on a daily basis is a relational act. Amen? You still with me? It's a relational act. The day-to-day forgiveness that you and I receive is a relational act. And here's a very simplistic example of what I'm referring to. Suppose you enter some wrong numbers into your calculator. Have you all ever used a calculator, you know? When you hit those wrong keys and you have that little button over on there called clear entry. Hit that one button and it clears that bad entry right out. Uh huh. Which allows you to erase your error and what do you do? You start over. You see, and that's what the blood of Jesus Christ does for you and I. Repentance allows us to override sin by triggering God's forgiveness so that the flow of His grace just continues. And when grace flows, growth follows. You see, the important thing to remember about sin is always keep short accounts with God. Now, I want you to understand something. I, I can kind of sense in some folks who want to... I'm not suggesting that we can live any old way we want to and just continue to sin without there being consequences. That's not what I am suggesting. In fact, the Apostle John penned these words, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, what? What happens when we do? You're going to mess up. I mean, as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, you're going to mess up. And as long as you're in this tabernacle, until the day you take your last breath, you're going to mess up. But he said, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is what? The propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You see, the idea is, the, the idea here is that if we fall with some help, we can get back up. I kind of like that idea. When we fall, with some help, we can get back up. In fact, the Apostle Paul asked this question of the Roman church. He said, what shall we say then? Since grace is this wonderful thing, grace is here and it abounds. But he said, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, absolutely not. He said, that's not, you know, in essence, he said, that's nonsense. That's not the way it works. He said, how shall we need, he, he answered their, he, 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 he posed these questions to the church at Rome. How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? So we're not advocating this idea that we can live any way we want to and we can just, uh, you know, uh, uh, let sin go unanswered. That's not the point. But the idea of it is, as 
toddlers, as infants, as children in Jesus Christ. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to falter. It's part of the spiritual growth process. Amen. You can't expect infants to act like adults. So oftentimes you'll find adults that act like toddlers. Jesus, help me. <clears throat> Amen. The stages of spiritual growth. The Apostle John continued in his letter in verse 13 of the second chapter. I write to you, young men. Everybody say, young men. I was one of them once. Because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. The second stage, as we will call it in spiritual growth, is adolescence. Now, I, I kind of like this stage. We, my wife and I raised three boys, and it was this adolescent stage that was the most trying and the most difficult. If you're here and you've got children about to go into adolescent stage, my prayers, my heart is with you. I'll weep for you, I'll cry for you, because until they reach somewhere between the age of 25 and 30, whew, yeah, that long. If you think that changes when they turn 18, have I got an, oh, dear God, have you got a surprise coming? Anyway, <laughs> and that's adolescence. And as this passage is translated in the New American Standard Bible, it says, young men, you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. However, if you have ever raised teenagers, you know that the transition from adolescence to adulthood can be an extremely, extremely bumpy ride. Suddenly, in there somewhere, I don't know how it happens, but it does, they know everything. My boys somewhere along the way got so smart they knew more than they... I mean... And in their own unique way, they had a way of letting me know they thought they knew more than I did. <clears throat> You've heard me tell this before, our oldest son... He was, he was probably the cream of the crop when it come to that. He thought he was the cat's meow, and he was smarter than anybody else in the world. He called me one time after he was married and had children of his own. and He said, Dad, he said, I am so sorry. I immediately, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what's happened now? I said, what's, what, what, what's up, son? He said, how did you put up with me? Well, it so happened that the sweet gal that he married had a teenage boy from a previous marriage, and he learned very quickly 
at a very rapid pace what it was to deal with adolescence. He said, I'm going to strangle the boy. I said, no, no, you're not. And he began to tell me some things that was taking place. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I understand what you're going through. Did I do that? Oh, son, you just don't have a clue. What kept you from choking me to death? He said, I am so sorry for any problems I ever caused you and mom. He said, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. He said, I, I thought you was probably the dumbest guy I'd ever lived until now. He said, you were a genius. Somewhere, I say that, tell you that to give you some encouragement. Somewhere along the way, they do see the light. It's a while. It's a while before they do. But they do see the light. But that's, you know, this adolescence, it's when a bumpy ride. Teenagers clash with their parents over authority figures. Right? Yeah, so you know I'm telling the truth. And, and, and because the reason is they're moving from dependence to independence. It's that transition period. They wrestle with conflicting feelings of wanting their freedom, yet not really wanting it. Especially if mom and dad are still paying the bills. They revolt at the idea of observing curfews. Oh yeah, yeah. You parents wait. It gets worse. I can tell you some stories that will make the hair stand up on the back of your head. <clears throat> they revolt at curfews, particularly when their friends don't have any. Sally's mom don't make her come in at any particular time. Why do I have to? They don't like getting approval for the movies they attend and their dates and their parties and their dress codes or using the family car. One thing my boys always hated when their mother gave them a dress inspection before they went out. You're not wearing that out, boy. Well, Mom, everybody else, I don't care who does. You are not wearing that outside his house. Don't even try it. <sighs> they especially hate hearing, and how many of us have heard this speech down through the years? That, you know, I couldn't wait. I heard this speech from my dad, and I thought, you know, someday I'm going to have a wife and some kids, and I can't wait to give them this same speech. As long as you're under my roof and I'm paying the Have you heard that speech yet? You will. As long as I'm paying, you're under my roof and I'm paying the bills, you'll live by my rules. When you have your own place and you're paying the bills and you have your own family, you can make your own rules. But until then, boy... I make the rules. Y'all, how many of y'all remember hearing that speech? Come on, be honest now. <clears throat> you see, the truth is, the truth is, a spiritual adolescence doesn't know as much as he or she thinks they know. That teenager living in your house don't know as much as they think they do. 
You see, they need guidance, they need support and correction from more mature Christians so that they can learn how to avoid falling into the enemy's traps. Amen. Amen. There are some finding some things that our boys had to learn on their own. I don't care how many times we tell them. I don't care how many times we try to warn them of some of the pitfalls of some of the things they were nothing new. They had to go out and learn it the hard way. You see, they need instruction and training in God's Word to make them strong and keep them battle-ready at all times from a spiritual perspective. It also works from a natural perspective as well. And they need opportunities to serve and discover and develop their gifts and gain experience. Life's pathway is cluttered from a, from a church standpoint of those who had came to adolescence and decided they knew more than the pastor did. I can give you names of young men and young women who came up to the place and sit across from me at my desk and say, you know, Pastor, I have come to a place where you can no longer feed me. Really? Well, and But what happens is they, they're in this transition time from wanting from independence to independence. But the reality of it is, friend, that these individuals, we must understand and we must help them and, and they must know that that's a stage of spiritual growth. So I suppose the question that we must entertain at this point is how can you tell when you've grown up, when you've outgrown or whether you've outgrown your spiritual adolescence and begin moving into adulthood? How do we know when we're transitioning from adolescence into adulthood? Well, the Apostle John answers that question for us when he states, You are strong, the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. That's how we know. That's how we know. When the Word of God abides in us, and we've overcome the evil one. Amen. Hallelujah. I know there'll be someone listening to this via tape or over the internet, or you might even be here right now saying, oh boy, what am I in for? The Apostle John continues to the next stage when he writes in verse number 13 of the same chapter, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him, because you know him, because you know him who has been from the beginning. So the question is, what makes us spiritual adults? Fair question, is it not? What makes us spiritually mature? Now when I talk about being spiritually mature, I'm not talking about having arrived. Paul in his infinite wisdom said, you know, I've not made it yet. I'm still struggling. I'm still fighting this battle. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before. He said, I have not yet apprehended. So what, how, what constitutes what makes us spiritual adults? Simply this, knowing God. 
It's that simple. Knowing God. And you, you thought I was going to say something profound, didn't you? It's that simple, knowing God. However, this does raise another question. How can we know that we know God intimately? Perhaps this analogy will work. Maybe not. Maybe it will, hopefully. It's like a good marriage. Two people fall in love, unite together in marriage, become one. They become so close that each one knows what the other is thinking and feeling without a word being spoken. We've got some folks in here that's been married a number of years. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Become so close and some inter- so, so interconnected with your spouse that you can almost exchange words without a sound being spoken, without a word being spoken and a sound being made. But I must tell you, intimacy of this magnitude is not developed overnight. Amen? It's the product of time spent together, and it's a product of commitment. It's a product of time spent together and a product of commitment. In fact, the Apostle Paul weighs in with these words and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he said, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us, how? Through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The point being, the mature follower of Jesus Christ sees things the human eye can't see. And hears things the most acute ear cannot hear. Amen? Because there's been that development in that relationship that we're so close and so interconnected that the Lord does speak to us and we hear those things. And they have thoughts they didn't originate in their own mind. And that's because God's indwelling spirit is helping them to think God's thoughts. What an advantage! So we know You will know that you are spiritually mature when God allows you to pick up on thoughts and insights from His Word that go far beyond what someone told you from something you have heard from this sermon preached from this pulpit. Amen? Again, you'll know that you are spiritually mature when God allows you to pick up on thoughts and insights from His Word that go far beyond what someone told you or what you heard in a sermon from this pulpit. That's because the Holy Spirit is now free to send His message clearly and directly to you because of this relationship. Amen? In other words, we will know the things freely given to us by Almighty God. Now please understand, that means we have to be close enough to hear God speaking to us. Our relationship must be close enough that we can hear Him speak. Amen. And such intimacy doesn't just, it doesn't just happen. A husband and wife does not develop that kind of relationship just happenstance. It's years and years of work and labor and intimacy and closeness and 
commitment to one another that produces that. And the same principle holds true in our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. It takes years of commitment and intimacy with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I must tell you, it cannot be just an afterthought. It doesn't just happen. It must be our number one priority and the consuming passion of our life. Amen. It must be the consuming passion of our life to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To not only know Him in the power of His resurrection, but to know Him in the fellowship of His suffering. Amen. I will close with this thought. Did you know, profound question here, did you know that all rubber bands work on the same principle? There's nothing too complicated about a rubber band, is there? Stretches, release it, stretch it. But they must be stretched to be effective. Amen. If you wanted to hold a group of papers together, it has to be a rubber band size so that you stretch it out, and when it comes back together, it holds them tightly together. Amen? And all rubber bands work on the same principle, whether it's one this big around or one big enough to go around this building or whatever. They must be stretched to be effective. Anybody who has ever achieved anything of note has been stretched to their limit. Amen? There are no exceptions. You see, one of the most common mistakes is thinking that success in life is due to some genius or some special something or other that we don't possess. And we must get rid of that thinking. Success comes, and that includes spiritual success, when we stretch to meet the challenge. Amen. Failure comes when we shrink back from it. And I will admit, stretching makes us somewhat vulnerable. When you stretch that rubber band, sometimes they break. You get one with a little age on it. Oh, I could go. No. I shall move on. And you stretch, and, and you always run the risk of it breaking. And, and when the rubber band is taut, it's much easier to break. And perhaps that's why at times we are afraid to stretch. Perhaps that's why at times we list, we want to stay in our comfort zone because and perhaps that's why oftentimes we're afraid to go where we haven't gone and try what we haven't tried before because it stretches us beyond the limits that we already know. Perhaps we have tried and been criticized and we'll always have critics. You'll always have critics. Always. Jesus had them. In fact, Jesus said in John 15 and 20, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Amen? As the worship team makes their way forward, I want to leave you with this. 
stages of spiritual growth. How many of you want to stay where you're at or you want to go on and grow spiritually? Dr. Jonas Salk, S-A-L-K. If you don't know this, he invented the polio vaccine. He was continually attacked by his peers for his pioneering work in that field. They were constantly ridiculing and criticizing him for the time he spent and for his endeavors in trying to find a vaccine for polio. He found that criticism came in three stages. He said that first they will tell you it won't work. It won't work. Then when you begin to succeed, they'll say, ah, what you're doing isn't important. It really doesn't matter a lot. It's just really not important what you're doing. And after they see that what you're doing is important, it will change the lives of many. Finally, they'll say, we knew you'd do it all along. We knew you'd do it all along. This is true. This is what he's, he, he went through this. So don't look at the way things are and ask why. Look at the way things could be and ask why not. Why not? Why not allow our spiritual relationship come to the place that God could use us in ways that he has never used us before? Why not allow our spiritual maturity come to the point where God can use High Point Church as a tremendous outreach throughout the world and do things that we have not yet even imagined. Through the power of God's indwelling spirit, we can make a difference. You've got to wrap your mind around that. Through God's indwelling spirit, you look around and the congregation's not all that large and some are getting up a little bit in years. And But remember... Through the power of God's indwelling spirit, we can make a difference.